welcome to the Healthy Gospel Church podcast, a podcast where we explore all aspects of church life while also shining a spotlight on good practice. My name is David Meredith, I'll be your host. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you hear, please help these algorithms out and share it as far and wide as you can. Folks, a very warm welcome to the latest edition of the Healthy Gospel Church podcast, uh, beaming from Edinburgh, Scotland and across the nation. And we are delighted today to have a guest from the fourth city of our nation, the city of Dundee. My guest today is Nathan McConnell. Nathan, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Appreciate it. Great. Now, many of the folk on the podcast will not know who you are. Again, I can tell from your accent that you're an American. Can you give us just a potted history of what took you to Scotland? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, it was it well. It is that kind of history. It it was unique. I started praying um, for the nation of Scotland a number of years ago, and I ran into George Verwer uh, in a parking lot in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I told him, I said, I want to do some theological education, and he said to me, You should go to Aberdeen. And I said, where is that? And uh, we began praying about it, my wife and I, and um, sensed a call. And so in 2010, we moved there and I did a THM and uh, practical theology and Christian ethics. And then uh, after about a year or so, moved back to the States, um, took up two teaching positions at Trinity International University and uh, which is TED's, uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in South Florida and Palm Beach Atlantic, and taught there for about three or four years with a, with a heart and call to come back to Scotland. And uh, the Church of Scotland offered me a post um, in 2013. And in 2015, we moved back to Dundee, sight unseen, to a church, sight unseen, and began a gospel work. Great. Can you tell us the name of your church and Give us a picture of the environment in which you minister. Sure. Um, Downfield Mains is our church, and we minister in an urban um, deprivation zone on the north side of the city of Dundee. We've got a, a parish um, of about 10,000, and um, many who are on universal credit. Um, it's a tougher area. It's got all the domestic problems that you would have in Scotland, and um, the church has been there since the 1880s as a mission station actually for the united free uh united free church of scotland and um yeah is now basically has uh the the town of kirkton wrapped around it and uh from that you know we just we're just serving there uh faithfully and ministering the gospel and seeing lives changed and i would say this though that even though we started in Kirkton, um, many of our parish are coming from out with the city of Dundee. So, um, you know, we're not just uh, a small urban parish at this point in time. We're, we're more so um, a gathered congregation from every area of Dundee and maybe even a further field. Yeah. I know that you are interested in academics. You, you kind of live in two worlds. You, you've just recently got a PhD. Congratulations. Thanks. For that. You're, Thank you're, you. your, your father was a law professor. You kind of brought up in an academic, academic atmosphere. Can you tell us a little bit about your PhD? Because I think it's quite interesting for a healthy church. Yeah, I did. Um, I, I started taking mission teams to Malta in uh, 2012 with Palm Beach Atlantic University. 
And part of the reason we left Scotland, or one of the reasons, was I just didn't have a PhD at heart. I didn't understand, um, maybe a, a heart to, to do it, but I didn't have really a, a topic. And when I got to Malta, I started realizing there's a massive um, influx of refugees coming out of North Africa. And so I wrote my PhD on um, refugees in the church and migration and assimilation. And so that's been really um, timely to actually go through the process of writing a PhD on it and then to see what's happening in Ukraine and um, the various consequences of the war there. And we actually have my wife, my children and I have a mother and daughter living in our home with us through the Homes for Ukraine scheme. And uh, we're teaching English uh, and conversational English at Downfield Mains. And uh, even yesterday at our picnic, our barbecue for the church, we had probably about 25 Ukrainians there. Um, and so we're, you know, we're, we're ministering the gospel in that way. Um, but I loved, um, yeah, I think it's important to remember that uh, we have a huge responsibility to the foreigner, especially when you look in the text to the Bible, how important it is and, and how we're called to be a church of all nations. Uh, we're really supposed to be uh, a church in which it's not just one race or another. Um, God says that he'll bring every tongue, tribe, and nation together in the end. And so uh, we're attempting uh, to look like that right now in Dundee and uh, really praying that God would continue to open the doors for us. Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. Some months ago, we signed up to Hong Kong Ready, you know, for Hong Kong uh, refugees, <laughs> obviously the situation in, in Ukraine. I think it's true to say that in, you know, my denomination, we have not been all that successful. However, you've given me a little hint there, and hopefully other congregations will get a hint, that, that you've got to be intentional, that's a mindset, that you've got to do things. Yeah. Can, can you unpack that a little bit? So how can a, a local church be healthy in that multicultural sense, especially in drawing in uh, refugees? You're absolutely right in saying it has to be intentional. You have to think that way. And you have to realize how important it is um, that the church really does reach out. I think one of the greatest fears for most people, and I, I wouldn't say this is Scottish or it's American, is overcoming fear. Fear of people, people that are different than you, people that speak a different language, people that, um, you know, dress differently or come from a, a different socioeconomic background. Um, you know, I, I, had a, I had a bit of an advantage going in for the Ukrainian uh, scheme because I, I spent time in Ukraine in the early 2000s. Um, our church in North Carolina was um, helping and assisting an indigenous ministry to plant churches there. So I had already been to a number of the cities. And um, it just so happened that when the Ukraine um, war began, a number of people started fleeing and they happened to be pastor's wives um, and people that I knew from in my past. And one of my former translators was actually fleeing from Kharkiv and she was heading into um, the Ostrova Czech Republic. And so we began uh, very quickly asking the question, well, how do we help them? Uh, and for us, it, at that stage, it was just providing housing. Uh, and so we took up an offering in our local church and we began raising money to to give specifically to um, their families. And so we did that. At the same time, we recognized the first thing that we could do when the war began was that we would we would ask the city of Dundee uh, and the various churches and, and the community to supply goods. And so Downfield Mains got filled up about seven feet high throughout the whole of the uh, sanctuary, and we ship medical supplies and goods through Northern Ireland, 
uh, through a contact there uh, to Poland and then on to Ukraine. And so there's always been phases in which we've been looking for what God's doing and where he's going and what he wants to accomplish. Um, and every stage is different. And right now, the big question is, after you know six months, is uh, the Ukrainians that have come, many are being placed into boats. <laughs> I saw there's a ship in Edinburgh. They're being placed into um, different various hotels. And there's a massive need, um, first and foremost, to learn English. So um, even yesterday, we were asking, well, should we come to the hotels and teach you English? Um, we don't have to stay inside our church buildings to make this happen. Absolutely. And <laughs> so I'm I'm hopeful that, you know, we've got we've got a number coming on Wednesdays to our church building, but that might just not be good enough. And so um we might need to get on to to going where they are. But isn't that what Jesus did? Absolutely. We're talking here about healthy churches, Nathan, and we've picked out one characteristic of a healthy lo local church as internationalist. I often say to our people, I want our churches to be bigger darker and poorer. In other words, I want to see kingdom growth. I want to see ethnic diversity and socioeconomic diversity. So I keep plugging there, bigger, darker, poorer. <laughs> Can you give me one or two marks also that, that you would put in the mix to making a healthy gospel church? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a few things that I think, and I, I was trying to contemplate this a bit, our ethos at DMC, or Downfield Mains, is to be true to Christ, to be kind to all people, and to take the gospel to the nations. Um, one of the key marks, first, is prayer. And um, we we pray a lot at Downfield. We have groups every day on Zoom. Uh, when COVID hit, we, we embraced technology, and those groups are meeting and meet four days a week for prayer. Uh, we also sense that there's an important part of reproduction, you know, and our 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 desire is to have healthy sheep in our church uh, through teaching of the word, preaching the gospel. Um, we want to see people growing, and we know that healthy sheep reproduce. And so we've we've maintained a focus to really be true to Christ and um, teach our folk inside our church, teach our people, um, with the hope that they will go out into the community and make disciples, almost a Second Timothy two two model in some regards. Um, so, the, so they're they're healthy marks. They're definitely prayer, um, evangelism. Uh, we have a group that reads the Bible and started during COVID and has been reading the Bible every four days a week. Um, so they're almost all the way through the Bible now. Um, so there's there's a number of things that I think are important to a healthy church. But the first thing I think, and this is the detriment that maybe I saw through COVID, one of the difficulties was the concept of leadership. Leadership is vitally important in the church. Um, and those that have a biblical worldview as leaders. And I, I'm I'm kind of, uh, I don't know if this sounds right, but I'm, I'm kind of banging on that drum quite a bit because if we can't raise up strong leaders, uh, the church will never become the church that God called it to be. And so, yeah, we spent a lot of time really fashioning our elders um, and not only that, but really looking at those who have leadership giftings. Um, and that could be as simple as service, because, you know, servant leadership is hugely important to us. But it, it is important. And one of the one of the key factors in whether or not you're going to have a healthy church is, is the level um, of, of faithfulness of your leaders. Yeah. 
Can I talk a little bit about vision? I've been thinking a lot recently about over-visioning. I mean, you're an American. You you were born with vision. I think all our visionaries <laughs> across the ocean. I think you can over-vision. Sometimes you can have a vision which is ridiculous. You can have one, however, which is ridiculously small. Can you talk a little bit about vision to get that sweet spot between boldness and ridiculousness? Yeah, well, <laughs> you can't over-vision. Trust me, we are born. I, I, I think that's the concept that we're born out of the womb, visioning uh, a, a better future in America or something. But we do, we are, it is a product uh, in who we are. And I, you know, I'm, I've, I've said this before, I'm dangerously stubborn because I've got a bit of a, a Scottish streak in me as a McConnell. And um, I, I have a visionary streak in the sense that I'm American. So it's a very strange one. But I, I would say this, that you have to be realistic, um, especially when you're coming to Scotland as an American. And I, I, I have a different story in the sense that I, I arrived here sight unseen to a church I'd never been to, and one which was quite old, um, and one that had been steeped in tradition. And that tradition, um, although great and wonderful, um, was not going to take us where we needed to go. And so we began asking the question, um, what do we need to be? And um, it wasn't it wasn't that I came in or anyone came in specifically and, and started scrapping everything, because you can't do that. It took us a long time. And it took us a number of years of being faithful in the community and faithful to our church. And um, it took a long time to gain trust. And uh, that's why that's why it's kind of hard sometimes to plant a church or to do those things you're dealing with that. Um, but I, I think you're right in saying that we have to vision, um, but it needs to be responsible. Um, does that, I, I hope that makes a bit of sense to the hearers. Yeah, I mean, can, can I unpick a little of it? Um, I mean, we have all of different callings, you know, folk talk about church planting is big just now. I guess your, th your thing comes under the kind of revitalization banner. Um, you know, I think some folks say that they share 80% methodology, and I kind of agree with that, that there's a similarity between planting and revitalization. Mm -hmm. What I'm really interested in now is, is the idea of, of upscaling um, so you you go to Downfield Mains, BMC, you you assess it. You, you know one or two things are fixed. There's a, a new foundation. Now you want to scale up. You know you, you don't want to be stuck with a congregation of about 40, 50, which is the sweet spot. You know it's economically viable. It's, it's faithful, but you want the kingdom to grow. So have you any ideas of, of what? I mean, there are things that only God can do. All mm -hmm. things. Paul plants, Paul's mm -hmm. waters, God gives the increase. But there are things that God calls us to do. So talk me through upscaling. What is your thoughts on that? How do you do it? Faithful gospel preaching. You start with the gospel. I mean, at Downfield, we don't mince words. We're not going to play games with you. Um, we're going to teach the word of God. And if you don't like that, there are plenty of other great churches to go to. And I think I think we need to be fair in saying that uh forthrightly, because people people follow conviction and courage. They don't um they don't just traditionally follow tradition. <laughs> they they want somebody who's gonna be faithful um and and stick through what they say. I think to, to answer the question, what do you do to upscale? Um you make the basics important again. Um Bible reading. 
Bible discussion groups, um, small groups, fellowship. They're all healthy. This comes back to that conversation about health, healthy church and what that looks like. Um, those simple things that you do matter. Um, are the sacraments being done regularly? Um, is there fellowship? Is there accountability? Um, those those simple things are people giving. I mean, the healthy mark of a church that I think is upscaling is is putting the blocks in the right place and then seeing the outcome and saying, okay, well, are we are we faithfully seeing giving go up? Yes, we have at Downfield. Um, we've trusted the Lord. Are we reaching people with the gospel? Are people being saved? That's a first question for me always. Are people being saved? If they're being saved, that's a good start. Um, then on top of that, are they growing or are they being sanctified? If they're being sanctified and set apart, then I can trust the fact that they're going to they're gonna grow as we continue to teach the gospel and teach. And if, if you're going to a church that just doesn't do this, um, you might sit in the sweet spot for a very long time, at least until a generation dies off. And then that church will, will fail. Um, you know, Christianity was never meant to be a long-term thing. Every generation had a responsibility to get out there and make a make a witness um, and share the gospel and love their neighbor. Um, so Christianity is always in danger of being about one generation away from death if we're not going to be faithful. Um, and so, you know, with that, um, one of the things you asked about is how do you upscale? Well, worship changed for us. We hired um, Pastor Simon Kennedy, and you can imagine when I when I went out and you're using the word pastor in the Church of Scotland. What does that mean? Um, I had to define that for a number of people. And we we hired him specifically to lead uh, our teams of, of music. Why? Because we believe music is important. Um, Colossians says, let the message of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. Well, the way to admonish one another is through what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? It, 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 it assists the messaging of God's love. Um, it also helps us to understand his character. You know, Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord God is with you. He's a mighty warrior. I mean, who saves? That's that's exciting. Um, he delights in singing. So if he delights in singing, well, let's start singing. Uh, as you know, Simon, um, or our, our pastor, Simon Kennedy, he loves the Psalms. You know, he loves to sing the Psalms, um, which I, I love too. But we also like modern worship too. We like going after the new stuff as well. Why? Because my children, who are in their you know early twenties and late teens, they have a different music than I have. Um, and so we we've kind of tried to play it all the way across the board. Um, and some people said, "Well, that's not going to work," but it does. Um, pretty much every one of our older uh, parishioners are still with us, and they're singing on Sunday. Some of them are sitting down because they can't stand, but they're singing with us. Um, and then we've got a whole new influx of young families who are engaging with the Lord um, and with us. And so, yeah, worship for us has changed. Um, We have a much more modern service than we used to have. And uh, we're still doing prayer and we're still doing all the things that are important. But I think if you sit in the old traditional model, um, yeah, of church, you're just, you're going to see the decline eventually. Yeah, it's interesting. By the way, Simon said there was a transfer fee coming our way for his services. So uh, <laughs> I, I, th- I think it was five million. You know, <laughs> it was five million pounds or five million jelly babies. But uh, yeah, it might have been jelly babies, probably. <laughs> well, I was interested. You know that when folk when, when you upscale a church, you you need people. You, you need a team to do that. Yeah. 
And you've got your leadership team with maybe lead pastor, senior pastor, and elders. But there comes a time when you always need to appoint staff. And mm-hmm. years ago, the first hire was always a youth person. Now, I don't know. I think I've said in about five different podcasts, it's mm-hmm. almost the wrong choice. But it's, it's the one that folk instinctively go for. In my own situation, our first hire was a, a kind of executive guy who ran the church. And in our circumstances, that. But I'm really intrigued that, that you went for a worship pastor. You've unpacked it a little bit. And I absolutely, you know, agree with you that the worship, the way we're singing, the whole package is absolutely fundamental because it's a barometer of the culture of a congregation. Um, is there a, if you had, you know, there's that song, If I Had a Million Dollars, um, if you had a million dollars, what, what would be your next hire? Oh, my goodness. That's a great question. I think... Um... We we just hired. Well, I'll tell you this: we just hired a family uh, a family ministry pastor as well, part time. Um, I would suggest that we we were talking about this the other day. I think women's ministry is obviously very important to us, um, and I think there's there's definitely room for that. Uh, we, you know, it's it's one of those things where I don't know if I would do it, but I know I know the church would have to get together and we'd have to discuss it together. Our elders are very sound. And they're wise and they know um, what direction we would go. So this is why I say that sometimes you can have the vision as a pastor. But in reality, we're doing this as a team. Uh, and I, you know, I don't make all those decisions. I, I do can I I do sense that the worship pastor was right. And I was down um studying at Oxford when I heard the Lord say, you need to hire Simon Kennedy. Um I was down uh, doing a scholar in residence at the kilns at C.S. Lewis's house and uh, studying, working on my PhD work. And I called Simon that day and I said, I've heard from the Lord. I know what he wants us to do. And uh, we got together and and talked about it. So I think I think if, before we hire anybody, you might want to listen to the, what the Lord says and then be obedient yeah. to do it. Um, and even when it seems strange, um, you know, the, the Lord, the Lord's, the Lord knows exactly how he wants to build his church. Um, and you know, I think if we're faithful, praying and seeking the Lord, He'll He'll tell your congregation, uh, just as He's told mine the last two hires. If I had a million dollars, um, I have no idea what I would do with that thing. I, I have no idea. I'm I'm, gosh, it would be nice to have a million dollars. Okay, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a serious point here. I I think that. Churches that are strong also struggle. And it was always my case, you know, when we were at Smith, when we reached a certain comfort zone, the guys almost said it was like, you know, the the, que- the last question at the end of each episode of The West Wing, mm-hmm. part of it says, what's next? Um, so, you know, we were always, when we were out of debt, we went into more debt. When, you know, it's just the way we were. Um, it's always good to have that tension. Yeah. And the churches that have got too much money really don't do well. There's not that dependence on the Lord. There's not that creative, you know, sanctified entrepreneurial spirit. Um, okay, so, you know, you, you're within a network, as I am, Free Church of Scotland, your Church of Scotland, your congregation is seeing growth, somewhat modest, but it, it is growth. It's, you know, a healthy gospel church. Um, 
I'm trying to, to pick my words carefully here. Okay, your, your denominational context is challenging. The, the C of S uh, have published, you know, various new Presbury plans. We're not talking here about C of S, you know, in the main. But, uh, you know, I've said this to my church gone friends. It seems to me to be an agenda for contraction. Whereas you should be looking for an agenda for growth. Okay, so here's the deal, Nathan. You you've got a mindset of growth and reproduction, and yet you're in a context of contraction. Yeah, yeah. How do you find that? At times, frustrating. To be fair, David, you know, I mean, there's 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 uh, there yeah, there's a lot there's a lot to that, and I I would say this that. Um, Notwithstanding the presbytery plans in the Church of Scotland that have been going forth, because quite frankly, I don't know what's going on outside of my context in Dundee, um, our responsibility is to have our plans done by December, of which I have very, you know, simple say in this. But I will say this, that the contraction that the Church of Scotland is having, to some extent, is God-ordained. Um, and some extent painful, you know, I, I've, I've been in a number of meetings with elders from various churches and, um, they cry because they don't know what to do. It's very difficult. Um, and some of the churches are going to go away and they need to go away to be fair. Uh, not every church grows. I mean, let's, let's be realistic. Every, uh, the churches that we read about every week, uh, in Philippians and Colossae and the various churches of Thessalonica, they don't exist anymore in the same way they did in the first century. Um, we are the beneficiary of, of their existence. Um, so no church is, is without the possibility of closing. Uh, anybody who's ever traveled to the north of Scotland understands that there's old church buildings that have long since um, been gone. And so I think, I think there's something to be said for realizing that, hey, it's realistic to say that there's a contraction, there's a, um, there's a realism, and I mean, historically, and I, I think a lot of times people forget, um, I pastor a church that was once a United Free Church of Scotland. Um, you know, that denomination has kind of gone away as a whole. It's very small. Um, it went into the Church of Scotland in 1929 and swelled the ranks of the Church of Scotland. So the Church of Scotland, I think, is in some regards being God pruned uh, for the sake of um, his own glory. Because as you prune back the church, you start to whittle away um, at what was once there that didn't need to be there, the growth that didn't need to be there. And so I, I'm really, I'm encouraged in some ways, although I will say this, that unless um, every Presbyterian denomination, and I've been part of four of them, just to let you know, <laughs> in my lifetime, uh, every Presbyterian denomination has the danger of being too law-oriented. It just happens to be the way it is. And we don't base our, our church growth on law. We base it on the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And so I think I think every denomination, and no denomination is without danger of becoming um, a relic in some regards, um, and and a device of of contraction in its own right. And so I know I'm not pleased with every everything that the Church of Scotland has done. Um, I've felt like at many times as a Church of Scotland minister, it's been done without without my approval or understanding. But at the same time, um, God told me to come here. 
And so I'm going to be faithful to what God said to do. And uh, with that, I know that he'll continue to lead and guide. Um, and my desire is to see people saved. Um, I know we we were talking, I, I, one of the questions we were going to examine is, our church is flourishing, and what is a, a flourishing church? Well, my church isn't flourishing until everyone in my city has heard the gospel and many are saved. Yeah. That's when my church is flourishing. Um, so I think I think there's a real danger for us to understand or, or think that flourishing is is good because we've added another 20 people. Or, um, you know, Scotland is in dire need of people to preach the gospel and to open their mouths and see people saved. Um, the message is so great and it's so wonderful. And we have a great uh, father in heaven and we have a great savior in Jesus and we have a powerful Holy Spirit who leads and guides. And so I, I'm, I'm prayerful that my voice as an American here um, will banter that a little bit and, you know, and, and continue to raise that banner to say, come on, let's, let's see the church grow. Um, and I don't, yeah, whatever church you are in, it doesn't matter. A couple of things. Uh, I mean, you, you've said twice now, and, and, and uh, I'm a fictionist now, taking the bait, um, God has told me. So uh, let's unpack <laughs> a little bit. What do you mean by that? God has told me. Uh, I hear the Lord through. What does it look like? Yeah, I, I hear the Lord through prayer and reading the Bible. That's the way God kind of speaks to me. Um, I pray about situations um, and ask the Lord, Father, what what are you doing in this? And then typically he teaches me or speaks to me through his word. At times he speaks to me through my brothers and sisters around me. Um, but yes, um, you know, when I say that, I'm I'm saying that in a way in which I firmly believe um, that God still speaks to us through his word. And uh, and I'm I'm not talking in a in a very strange way. Um, but I really do feel, uh, or no, I don't even feel about it. I know that God speaks through his word, uh, and I know he speaks through his Holy Spirit. So, yeah, very traditional position, I suppose, in some ways. Um, well, absolutely. I think what, it's not not kind of alarm bells, but I, I remember having a, a discussion with this particular person once, and I didn't agree what this person was doing. And they said, well, God has told me, and that kind of causes the conversation because, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not going to argue it with God. I, I mean, I get what you say there. And I think it's a bit like, um, you know, in a marriage situation, in a close relationship, uh, you just instinctively know what yeah. your other half thinks. If yeah. you're close to God, you're in the word, you're in prayer, it's almost difficult to explain. You just instinctively know what to do, um, you know, uh, because you you know God so well, you, you know his will. So discerning the Lord's will at times is not difficult. It's, it's an easy thing. Yeah. Um, well, you'll hear that at my church. I definitely, I definitely will bounce back if someone does say, well, God's speaking to me. Okay, well, how is he speaking to you? Um, because that becomes important to us for a church. Um, because we want to be faithful to God's word. We want to be faithful to scripture. We want to live within the bounds of scripture. And we don't want to um, to get outside of that. Uh, I've, I've heard a lot, I've heard a lot uh, of strange things in my life. And if it doesn't add up with scripture and come through scripture um, or not come through scripture, but add up to scripture, I, I kind of question it a bit. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was talking recently to a friend of mine and his grandfather was, was one of our, our ministers, an older gentleman called Murdoch Campbell. And Murdoch Campbell uh, was a big guy on dreams, visions, revelations, what our charismatic friends would call words of knowledge. So there you have an old school Free Church of Scotland minister having dreams, visions, and words of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he, he's, he's a Westminster Confession of Faith guy, you know, believes the Bible, even the maps in the back. You know, that's, that's the way he <laughs> is. Um, but he, he always said a very interesting thing that if he had a dream or a vision that wasn't accompanied with a biblical argument, he he relegated it. It went down the bottom of of, of the pack. That's absolutely right. He didn't say it wasn't irrelevant, but it just didn't have the weight. Yep. Um, so you've got, if you've got scripture, you've got a hard feeling, and you've also got the agreement of one or two or three like-minded godly people. You can be pretty sure that you're in the zone. Yeah. 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 I would agree wholeheartedly with that. Yeah. Now, you're an American. I love America. I love the United States. In my denomination, and a lot of our listeners will say, ah, oh, here's another American. With our church planting, we wouldn't survive without American money. We've got great um, MTW missionaries working with us. Um, you're here as, as an American. Nathan, can, can you tell me a little bit about how that feels? Do you, do you feel an imposter? Well, obviously not because God sent you, but are there dangers in being overlined uh, to American money and an American philosophy? Yes, there's always dangers to being aligned to anything, really. And, uh, you know, the church in America is varied and it's big. And when we were here, we were in the States, the Summer Scene family, I forgot how big it is. When you live in Scotland for a while, you 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 begin to realize, ah, oh, you know, it's kind of nice and it's smaller and there's 5 million people. I mean, if we're really realistic, 5 million people is about the state of Minnesota in the United States of America. And so there's 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 the breadth and scope of what it looks like to be a Christian in um America. And so I I mean you, we have to be very discerning on what we're what we're thinking. Um for those who want to come here from America and I'll just speak on that because I'm one of them. Um it's a long haul and it's hard. And I want to be honest with people who are listening to this. Um you have to want to wrestle with the question am I to die and serve the Lord in Scotland? Because you will die to yourself, you will you will face various trials and tribulations you never thought you would face in your lifetime, and um, the Scots are, are are some of my favorite people in the world. Um, but, I, but 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 they can be tough, and they are not always accepting. And um, you know those are hard real realizations. You know my daughter was made fun of at school um, all the time for her accent. And we're American, you know, and I, I think there's there's a reality. You pay a price for serving the Lord. And God called us to that. We die to ourselves daily, um, like Paul says, and and we we lay ourselves bare um to do missions in Scotland. Now, on the flip side, answering the question about money, um, I know there's there's always a concern. Can can it be an idol? Um, can American money be an idol? Anything can be an idol. Money, family, doctrine, spouse. NHS, for that matter, can be an idol. Your partner, your friends, your community, you name it, it can be an idol. Um, can American money? Yeah, if you worship it, um, it certainly become an idol. 
But let me say this too. I guess the the question for me is what kind of mission do you want to accomplish? Um, we know that I was I was doing a little research. Scottish charitable giving in 2017 peaked out at 1.2 billion. That's pennies to what American spend on missions in a year. Well, we're bigger, of course, but there's a philanthropy inside of the church in America that says you give for the sake of the gospel to go to the nations. And I think Scotland would do well to recognize, and whether you're Church of Scotland, Free Church, Baptist, whatever you are, you would do well to understand that the Scots have sown into the world, and sometimes you call in the reap. So you 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 reap what has been sown in Scotland, and Scotland has been very faithful um, to send people all over the world and missionaries throughout history. Um, it's done very well financially um, through people who've gone off and um, made fortunes. And I think um, Scotland at this point in time needs to reap what it has sown. And there's a lot out there to reap because everyone I ever talk to about Scotland in America says, oh, my family's Scottish. Um, you know, everybody's 116th, 132nd Scottish somehow, you know, and they love Scotland. And, and so I think it's important for us to be faithful to tell them what's going on in Scotland. Um you know, Scotland is not the Christian nation that they think it is. Um, and that, I'm just going to be painfully honest. Um, if you think we're living in a Christian nation, you haven't been listening to this podcast. Because <laughs> we don't live in that nation anymore. And we need their help. Um, we need our brothers and our sisters everywhere to help us and assist us at this time. Well, Nathan, we're, we're drawn to a conclusion. You've been so candid and so helpful in all these little pointers. Um, the diff- there is a difference between Scotland and Minnesota, similar population, but I'm just thinking, you name famous Scott. My, we've invented television, you know, we discovered penicillin, Tarmacadam roads, you know, the banking, you know. I was just thinking, is there one famous person in Minnesota? I thought, Bob Dylan. There you go. <laughs> there is uh there there is no doubt that Scotland has been influential in the world. I mean it it has been an amazing country and it has influenced so much and I think I think there's 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 a mistake in Scotland right now to think that it's on its own. And I think it's wise that actually congregations and denominations actually partner with churches in the United States right now. Um the danger like we said earlier is that that we somehow worship their money. But let me tell you something. Um, a little money these days is not going to hurt us at all. Nathan, so. thank, again, thank you so much. Folk who are interested in your ministry, go on the, the Downfield Means Church of Scotland website, and you can get you know a lot of information there. Just we, we can learn from other churches. It's a great revitalization project. And I would encourage folk to listen to this podcast. Tell other people about the podcast. We want to upscale it. Sorry about the sound quality. We are working on that. We've got to get some uh, microphones and various other things. As soon as I can get some time from Simon Kennedy, who uh, also works for us. Um, so, you know, when I say to, to Nathan, my people will talk to your people. The problem is it's the same people. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, and it's it's a blessing. Um, you know, I, I really am grateful that that we actually share that commonality 
And it, to be fair, and I want to say this to all the those who are in the free kirk who are listening, um, know this, that we pray for you. And we pray for the congregations and the denomination, and, and we care. Um, we're, we're really ultimately brothers and sisters in Christ, and we want to see the gospel change this nation together. Um, and so it's been a joy for me to be actually have friends in the Free Kirk um, and uh, and to really sit down with them and break bread. Um, I've, got, I've had the great privilege of actually speaking at one of the conferences, and I really appreciated that. It was such a joy for me to meet so many people um, who love Jesus. And it was great. So thank you. Thank you. What a super note to end. Thank you. Have a great day, folks. Have a great day, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you.